Hey everyone, I'm Thanos Davelis, and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and health staff. In December 2019, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen presented the European Green Deal, the EU's ambitious plan to lead the world on climate action and make Europe carbon neutral by 2050. The record heat waves and destructive wildfires that hit Greece and other countries in the Mediterranean this summer have only highlighted the need for action among experts and policymakers. Konstantin Levoyanis joins the Greek Current to discuss the recent policy paper he co-authored for Eliamep, which looks at the European Green Deal, the security risks posed by climate change in Greece, and highlights how the region can play a leading role in transforming European energy policy through investments in renewables. Konstantin Levoyanis is a researcher for the project Winds of Change at Eliamep, the Hellenic Foundation for European and Foreign Policy, and is the head of EU affairs at Nell Hydrogen. Konstantin, welcome to The Greek Current. Hi, Thanos. Thanks for having me on the show, and congratulations on everything you guys are doing over there. Konstantin, an article was published in Reuters today, and it stated that according to EU scientists, Europe had its warmest summer on record this year. And this was evident in the record-breaking heat wave Greece, Italy, and other Mediterranean countries experienced. The wildfires that followed, particularly in Greece, served as a harsh reminder of the security threats posed by climate change. You highlight these threats in your latest piece for Eliamep. Can you walk us through the challenges they pose? Yeah, look, as you said, on 11th of August 2021, in Syracuse, Sicily, the highest temperature ever in Europe was recorded. That was 48.8 degrees Celsius. In Greece, Turkey as well, we've seen the heat waves that surpassed those experienced back in the 1980s. Let's say that some of these wildfires were likely provoked by arson attacks, but quite a few were also caused by electricity grid accidents and the fact that the energy infrastructure was not sufficient or it was simply just so outdated that it couldn't keep up or meet the demands of the energy system. There were even calls from the government during the heat wave, public calls from the prime minister to, you know, don't leave your air conditioning on if you're not home. Basic kind of things you would think are common sense. Where I was in Crete, they were cutting off the electricity in the morning some days. So these things are still happening in Europe. And it's a harsh reminder that we need to invest in energy infrastructure. We need to invest in energy infrastructure that is sustainable. And as we refer to in the paper, we need to invest in energy infrastructure that is Green Deal compatible. Renewables are going to be crucial in bringing down not only carbon emissions, but combating climate change and meeting these challenges as you laid them out. What's unique about the Aegean and the Eastern Mediterranean when we look at where renewables are today and what the possibilities are looking ahead? I think there's a lot of untapped potential. Before getting into that, I just want to add on on the previous segment, this isn't just a question that touches on energy systems, but it touches on natural habitats, it touches on biodiversity. It's really important to state those things as well, because we take a lot of things for granted. Fisheries is a big sector in Greece. If we don't tackle these issues, there's not going to be as much fish in the sea in the future. We're already experiencing that. So it's important to stress those issues as well. In so far as the Aegean is concerned and the potential for renewable energy, there's always been potential in Greece. Back uh, in the height of the economic crisis, you may remember that the German government proposed a project called Project Ilios. It was a project proposed by the then economic minister Wolfgang Schäuble. The idea was to harness the Greek sun to produce renewable energy and be able to transport that 
to Germany via electricity grids through the Balkans and then west into Germany. That project never materialized for a number of different reasons, but there is a great deal of potential for Greece to decarbonize its energy mix. So we are a country that has been traditionally and factually speaking highly dependent on fossil fuels. We've depended on lignite for over 70% of the production of our electricity over the years. Now there's been a radical decision via this government to phase out all lignite plants by 2025. And until now, a large focus of Greece's energy policy has been on the role of natural gas as a bridge fuel, as a transition fuel to a greener economy. There's been massive investments in projects like the Trans-Adriatic Pipeline. That's a pipeline that brings a different source of gas. We've been a big customer of Gazprom for many years. Now bringing in Azeri gas, we're diversifying sources and routes of supply. I won't go into that too much because then we open up the question of whether we're really creating security of supply via Turkey and how much of a dependable partner they are. But if you look at renewables, then you're talking about creating more and more, let's say, independent energy policy where you create your own energy as a country for domestic use, but also for export as well. So we can become an exporting country of renewable energy. So with gas, we were becoming more of a transit hub. So we were the entry point, let's say, for Azeri gas for new diversified sources. That was the big policy push of the EU at the time with TAP, the Southern Gas Corridor. The US was pushing that agenda very much. Now, instead of being a really important transit country for energy, we really need to start thinking about how we can finally harness and utilize that renewable potential that we have as a country in solar energy, in wind energy. We have, by some estimates, close to 6,000 islands in the Aegean. Okay, about 200 of them are habited, but we've literally got rocks offshore where we can build wind farms and transport that energy to the mainland so the islands create an electricity grid or an energy infrastructure, an energy ecosystem where we can produce, transport, and store renewable energy in the form of electricity or hydrogen, which I can expand on. What are the key challenges then to building this infrastructure that you just outlined? In Greece, I would say one of the major challenges has been competition, in the sense that the electricity market in Greece has been, as you know, dominated by one player. It's the Public Power Corporation, been discussions ongoing for many, many years about its privatization, about liberalization of the electricity market in Greece. In the gas market, the liberalization program and competition has opened up to a certain extent. For Southeast Europe standards, we've opened up the market and liberalized quite significantly. We're coming closer to the European norm. In electricity, we're still very far away. And aside from that, we're lacking the framework, we're lacking incentives from a legislative point of view. And frankly, we don't have the infrastructure. And that goes back to the first question you asked. How does the question of climate change relate to energy infrastructure? The energy infrastructure we have in Greece is dated, to put it mildly. So we need to invest in new energy infrastructure. There is a lot of interest in Greece from an energy perspective, from an investor's point of view. You think about the United States, Norway, German companies. There is a lot of willingness to come over 
and make those investments. But the challenges you meet domestically are the same ones that we've talked about the last 10, 20 years. And before we were born, bureaucracy, for one, is an issue, red tape. And the other issue, funnily enough, is that the NGO movements in Greece, they are quite militant against some of these offshore and even onshore wind projects for various reasons to do, again, with habitats, biodiversity. So we meet some rather strange opposition that we don't meet in other parts of Europe. Some justified because the tourist industry, they have some concerns about what impact, let's say, a wind farm might have on tourists. You know, would the tourists be annoyed looking at the sunset in Santorini and seeing, I don't know, however many hundred meters or thousand meters away a wind farm. Now, these frameworks, they need to be set up not only at a national level, but at a European level. How can we get the energy sector, the fishery sector, the military sector, the tourist sector to all work together in these offshore environments, as is the case in the Aegean? These are things that are top of mind here in, in Brussels at the EU level where I'm based. So these are all things that are still to be tackled and still ahead of us. Constantine, a key part of any effort that Greece is going to undertake and that Europe undertakes are the goals that were set out in the European Green Deal. How is this new policy from Brussels and broader EU legislation on the issue forcing a rethink in countries like Greece? And how can it help accelerate this push towards building out this infrastructure that we just discussed? Just to explain the Green Deal a little bit for those that aren't familiar with it. So the Green Deal, I'll put it in the words of the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. She said that the old growth model that's based on fossil fuels and, and pollution is out of date and out of touch with our planet. Those were her introductory remarks when she was explaining what the Green Deal is. It's essentially about changing the way we produce energy, changing the way we transport it, changing the way we store it, changing the way that we think about our natural habitats, about biodiversity, all those things that we've been talking about. There's been, I would say, massive public support for this push towards a Green Deal economy. So we're looking at essentially reaching climate neutrality, that zero carbon by 2050. That's the target. And a Eurobarometer survey, so Eurobarometer is a polling service that is used by European citizens all over Europe, and they were asked questions about climate change, environment, energy policy. An interesting statistic that came out of that was that 93% of the EU population sees climate change as a serious problem, and 72% agree that reducing fossil fuel imports can increase energy security and benefit the EU financially. So just to tie that back into other things we've talked about today, we talked about security of supply, diversification, and how that security of supply and diversification was a massive EU priority, I would say from 2009 to 2014. That five-year mandate period, that was the pinnacle of an energy security trilemma, as I call it. So in this trilemma of how do you define energy security, you have security, sustainability and affordability. You had security at the pinnacle for all that time. Now that's been replaced by sustainability. So sustainability is the priority of the new commission. And this is very much encompassed and characterized by the Green Deal. We recently had a, a legislative package that was published 
back in July. That was a big legislative package called the Fit for 55 package. 55 meaning that we want to decrease greenhouse gas emissions by 55% by 2030. And this legislative package includes legislative proposals on how we can achieve that via renewable energy, via measures related to energy efficiency, via measures related to reforming our carbon market, our energy infrastructure, but also our transport infrastructure. So I'll give one more example. The Renewable Energy Directive is being revised, and now the Commission is looking at hitting a target of 50% renewable energy. So that's 50% of Europe's energy should come from renewable energy sources in 2030. And that sets a framework in which European member states have to comply. Member states have to produce what they call national energy and climate plans, where they outline to the European Commission how they actually plan on achieving their targets, how they plan on contributing to meeting 50%. And then the Commission has to rubber stamp that. So there are tools and mechanisms in place to make member states comply. But there are incentives as well from a financial perspective. One of the impacts of COVID has been, you know, as a result, we've had more money going into the European budget. That's called the Next Gen EU Fund. We're looking at an EU budget that's going to be trillions and trillions of euros. And again, member states, they have incentive to include Green Deal compliant projects in their recovery plans, which are, again, plans that need to be rubber stamped by the European Commission in order to release funds in the form of grants and European loans that can help them build Green Deal compatible energy ecosystems in respective countries and respective regions. So there is a bit of a carrot and stick approach going on. And I would say there's a good balance between setting up legislative frameworks, being strict on climate, keeping countries accountable, but also making sure that they have the financial tools and mechanisms available to make the investments happen. I want to bring us back to the Eastern Mediterranean region. Where do you think that development of renewable energy infrastructure across the region fits in when we look at broader economic cooperation between countries in the region? And I know we've seen a lot of diplomatic activity around energy over the last decade in the Eastern Mediterranean, whether it's the trilaterals between Greece, Cyprus, and Israel, or the recently founded East Med Gas Forum. So how can these partnerships help propel that economic cooperation and that move towards a renewable future? I have rather strong opinions on the recent developments with regards to East Med natural gas reserves, and I'll touch on that shortly and explain. So I think the opportunity to ship gas to European markets is lost. I'll say that very clearly because we're expecting by various different accounts from different analysts from the IEA to IRENA, World Energy Council, Everybody says that in Europe, the gas consumption is going to decline massively from 2030 onwards. So for me, the opportunity to transport East Med gas to Europe is lost. When you're making investments in natural gas, you're looking at a payback period for an investment that's going to last 30 years. So if we're saying that in nine years time, there's going to be a rapid decline in gas consumption in Europe, how are you going to make your money back? That's one thing to keep into consideration. And the other question has always been, how are we going to be competitive vis-a-vis Russian gas, even if we have extra tariffs? Now, a lot of institutional frameworks have been put together. This East Med Gas Forum that you mentioned, it's something that came ad hoc via diplomatic channels. 
Turkey was left out because they've been spoiling the party, let's put it in layman terms. They haven't managed to do anything via the Union for the Mediterranean gas platform. They haven't managed to, you know, find any way to expedite the gas quickly in the last couple of years. Now, what do we need to do moving forward? I think these kinds of platforms, and this is laid out in the paper that I wrote with Yanis Grigoriadis of Eliameb, we need to use these institutional platforms and make them Green Deal compliant as well. This uh, renewable energy potential that we talk about in the Aegean, it's a potential to create a new economic model, new trade and diplomatic relations in the region. We can do this via offshore wind parks, electricity interconnectors between you know, Greece and Turkey, Greece, Cyprus, Israel, Egypt. It's a big endeavor when you look at essentially building an electricity grid underwater, but there is a huge potential in, in hydrogen as well. It's a sector that I work in. So I'll explain this as simply as I can. You can transport more energy in the form of hydrogen than you can in electricity. So there are efficiency losses when you transport electricity over large distances. But if you can convert electricity into hydrogen from renewable sources, you can transport that further and you can transport more energy content. You're probably going to ask me, okay, so how do you do that? So via electrolysis, let's say you have an offshore wind park in the Aegean and you produce the wind and you have what's called an electrolyzer next to your wind farm and your electrolyzer essentially runs water through an electricity current and the electricity splits the water. So water is made up of H2O and when you run the electricity through it, you split the atoms and you have hydrogen and you have the oxygen. So then you have your hydrogen via electrolysis. You can put that in a pipeline and ship it to your customer. If you have a network of gas pipelines, you can transport that wherever it's going, or you can ship it by sea. And actually, one of the things that we talk about in our paper is that there is a huge opportunity for the shipping sector here to produce hydrogen in the Aegean, in the East Med, and you would be able to fuel hydrogen ships of the tourist sector, for example, and use a sustainable fuel, a zero emission fuel like hydrogen, on which your tourist ships would run. So you'd be able to fuel up on hydrogen at Bireas port, hopefully one day. You might even be able to, you know, if you're a yacht, you might be able to land on one of these 6,000 offshore rocks and there might be a refueling station for you to refuel there. There are some ships today, some pilot projects, hydrogen ships, where you use seawater and you produce your hydrogen on the vessel, so you have the electricity current on your vessel from the battery, splitting the water coming in from the sea, desalinating it and creating hydrogen on which your motor needs to run. So there is a whole realm of untouched potential in the region in terms of our landscape, our access to sea. And one last point, we have existing trade relations and dependencies with third countries in not only the East Med, but the Med in general. If you think of the gas interconnectors that Italy has with Algeria or the East Med pipeline that we've been talking about, why don't we look at how we could use that and turn it into a hydrogen pipeline? These are things that are being talked about, but the people that talk about that in Greece are still a little bit of a minority or they're still being talked about in closed circles. But there are important business people that are seriously looking at the potential to take this East Med pipeline project and say, how can we potentially make that a hydrogen project? How could we, let's say, harness 
sun in the desert in Egypt and get Egypt in on the project. It's been something that's been talked about, this project between Israel, Cyprus and Greece. Why not bring Egypt into that? Everybody can get a piece of the pie. Konstantin, it was great chatting with you. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. My pleasure. Thanks very much. In other news, Turkey and Egypt agreed on Wednesday to continue talks to repair and eventually normalize strain ties after wrapping up a second round of discussions meant to address their differences, the two countries said in a joint statement. The talks were held in Ankara and marked the second high-level political consultations between the regional rivals since May. Discussing Turkey on Bloomberg TV, Egyptian Foreign Minister Shukri said Egypt is eager to find a resolution and a formula for restoring normal relations with Ankara, but more work needs to be done. He added that when Egypt is satisfied that outstanding issues have been resolved, the door will be open for further progress. Finally, Prime Minister Kidiakos Mitsotakis will announce a package of measures on Saturday aimed at easing the pressure on middle and low-income earners from the increase in retail prices, particularly in energy, while also sending the message that the government's reform policy and tax breaks will continue. The measures, which will be announced at the Thessaloniki International Fair, were discussed at a meeting held by Prime Minister Mitsotakis on Monday. The announcement follows news from earlier this week, which showed Greece's GDP expanding 3.4% in the second quarter. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.